I've been thinking about uh, some for the past week or so. Relating to other people isn't an easy thing. People can be complicated sometimes, and as parents of an eight-month-old, Chanae and I are learning about that from a little guy who can't even talk just yet. And I kind of decided to myself that maybe I'm dumb for coming to this realization at this point, but relating to our child is not going to be all sunshine and roses and an easy path. We live in a difficult world. But thankfully, we aren't left in the dark when it comes to whether it is relating to your kids or relating to your parents or to your spouse or the different relationships we encounter at work or in society. Because God has given us his instructions for living in relation to one another. And uh, really this text, as we look at three specific relationships, is building on the past number of weeks as we have talked about from from, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, that God calls us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And so we've been talking about living in holiness and love and walking in the light, as Roy reminded of us this morning with his illustration about the flashlight. And last week we talked about wisdom and really worshiping God in all of life. And as we ended last week, we ended in verse 21. And there's a key phrase there I just want to remind us of as we go into our passage this morning. It kind of forms a bridge between last week and this week. And it reminds us that our motivation for relating to one another is to be out of reverence for Christ. We're going to come back to this motivation in each of the three relationships that we talk about. Because God calls us to relate to one another out of our love for Him. Not because we have to, but because we love Jesus who gave Himself to redeem us and to have a restored relationship with us. He is our example. And so as we look at starting in verse uh, 22 of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives us kind of a basic blueprint that really provides us a solid foundation for godly relationships between husbands and wives and children and their parents, servants and their masters. This is huge because what the Bible is saying here, what, what Paul is pointing us to, is how we were created to live. We were made to reflect God's image. And as Christians, how we treat one another is a reflection of who God is and what he values. And so the things that we're going to talk about this morning are definitely countercultural, radically different than our society's view of marriage and of families and how we should relate to one another in society. And we as followers of Christ have an opportunity to shine brightly 
in a dark world by submitting to Christ's lordship over these matters, by honoring him, relating to one another in humility and love. God wants us to live for Jesus in every relationship. And he's given us the tools we need to navigate through these relationships in a way that is pleasing to him. With this in mind, I want to begin considering God's design for wives and husbands. And if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we'll read verses 22 to 33. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his own body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Having read Paul's words to husbands and wives, I think it's important to recognize that though sin has distorted God's design for marriage and has pitted the man and the woman against one another in, in their relationship at times. Yet the marriage relationship of one man and one woman joined together as one flesh is God's idea. And that is what Paul is pointing us back to here in this text. Reminding us of the example of Christ. So how is it that Christian husbands and wives should relate to one another? Paul doesn't really waste words. He begins rather bluntly and he says, first of all, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now I want to be clear. First of all, Paul does not say every woman must submit to every man. The text does not in any way ascribe less value to women as though that they are lesser in essence or in less significant somehow. Nor does the word submit imply a military forceful kind of submission as though the wife is enslaved to every whim of the husband. And it still says the wife is to submit to the husband, and we have to ask, what does that mean? What then, if it's not 
some kind of enforced slavery, what does it mean to submit? And biblical submission really, when it comes down to it, is a disposition of the heart. A willing choice that in this case is the choice to recognize and honor God's great responsibility to lead the home. A responsibility that is given to the husband by God. Second thing that I think we need to understand is is how significant it is that Paul writes that the wife's submission is to be done as to the Lord. The wife's primary responsibility, as is the responsibility of every Christian, is to serve the Lord, first of all. But according to this verse, she is serving Him when she is serving her husband. And this raises a lot of questions in our minds of what does this look like and and why, why does God want wives to submit to their husbands? So I want to look at God's reasons in verses 23 and 24. I'm going to read those again for us this morning. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is itself, himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So the, the text says that the husband is the head of the wife in the same way that Christ is the head of the church. And verse 24 goes on to express our relationship to Christ as the church is what? It's one of obedience to Him. I think I have a very important and helpful text to turn to when we think about Christ's headship is John chapter 15. And I would like to turn there where He speaks and He doesn't use the terminology of head but speaks of sending a helper and of the imagery of the vine, that we must remain in Christ in order to bear fruit and to have a life of abundance and joy. And uh, in verse 10 of John chapter 15, Jesus writes, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And then he goes on to say something very encouraging. He says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You notice in verse 10 that Jesus, in obeying His Father, remained in the love of his father and so had joy. Jesus is really ultimately our example in submission. Choosing to submit to his father's way and obey him. And and in doing so, he remained in the love of his father and had joy. And Jesus says that it is so it is for us in our relationship with Christ that joy comes from keeping His commandments, submitting to, to Him. 
when it comes down to it, is that the fact that authority is God's idea. Ultimately, because he created us to be dependent to himself. Looking to him. And so it was in the garden that man walked with God and talked with God and listened to God as he made sense of the new world that they were living in. But that is a dependence that we have sinfully rejected in choosing our own independence, our own ways. But when we submit to the ways of God, we depend on Him, this passage reminds us that we will experience the joy of His love and His presence with us. As we, the church, are to be subject to Christ in all things and so find joy in Him, so God calls the wife to serve Him and to experience His love and joy by submitting to her husband in this present age. This is not a very popular idea, but this is part of God's design for the marriage relationship. And that makes it a beautiful and a good thing. As the, the wife serves the Lord in serving her husband of her own choice as Christ laid down his life in obedience to the Father in humility, not counting his own interests but considering the needs of others. When we move on to verse 25, we see the husband is not off the hook. It's not as though this is all about the wife must do what the husband says. That's not at all what he's saying. We go on to see that the husband is responsible to Christ for his leadership. Verse 25, I'll just read here. I've got to flip back here. Lost my spot. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what does it mean to be the head of the home? It means to follow Christ in his example of loving sacrifice. Having the responsibility to love, to give oneself, to nurture. To be the head of the home is not to demand one's own way, but to lead as a servant. And in this, Christ is our example. I want to remind you men that we are not the Messiah. We need to look in all things to Jesus Christ and his strength and his power and his love. Jesus gave himself up, up, everything that he had. For those who hated him, who spit on his face, and who disrespected him. He gave his best for a bride that was his sworn enemy. And so, husbands, we are called to give our all to our wives, 
regardless of how they respond. Treating them as we would ourselves, for the two shall become one. The great mystery in all of this is that the marriage relationship of voluntary submission and and voluntary sacrifice involves a, a choice on our part to live this way as Christ lived. And this is a reflection of Christ's relationship with the church. When I think about that, I definitely can't wrap my brain fully around it and unpack that. But it's something to think on and to consider how we in our relationship, if you have a spouse, how we're reflecting Christ. Are we following his example? Do we understand his love for us so much that we respond in the same way with his love and the humility that he showed? Paul concludes, makes it very practical for us. Husbands, love your wives as yourself, and wives, respect your husbands. This is the way that God designed the marriage to be, not at each other's throats, and, but together, loving and respecting one another. And this is honoring to Christ. We move on. In chapter 6, we have the relationship between children and their parents. I'm going to ask the younger folk that are here, do your parents ever tell you to do something you don't want to do? Yeah, I see nods every day maybe. Why, Why is that? Why do they tell you to do things you don't want to do? Not sure. Is it because they love making your life miserable? Is that their favorite thing in life? That's why they had kids? No, it's not. It's because they they love you imperfectly, sure, but they love you and they want you to learn to do what's right. Um, I think one of you can, can remember what Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 said. Did your parents make you memorize this? Most parents, many parents do. So I feel like mine did anyway. Ephesians 6 is, verses 1 and 2 says something about children and their parents. See it in your, in your Bibles if you're turned there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because it is right. Yeah. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. <laughs> This, which is the first commandment with a promise. It's an encouragement at the end there, right? There's, some, there's a good reason behind this. It's a good thing to obey our parents. It's the right thing because Jesus is Lord. Like the way that Paul puts it in Colossians 3, verse 20. He says it's well-pleasing to the Lord. See, God has given us parents so that we would learn to obey Him. To know what is right. Given us parents to take care of us. 
when we don't always know how to navigate life. And right now, to honor God means to be doing what our parents tell us. Honoring them even after you're long gone from their home. Verse 4, we now come to those that are responsible to take care of their children. And they're addressed in a short verse that's important. I believe fathers are singled out for a couple of reasons. Number one, because they're most likely to provoke their children to anger. And number two, actually culturally, they were more most as the head of the home, they were responsible for training their children after the age of, I don't know, six or seven or eight or somewhere around that time, particularly sons, the, the father was responsible for the training of their children and discipline of their children. Read verse four. It says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So first we're told, not to do, not to provoke your kids to wrath, to make them angry. And we can do that in all kinds of ways as parents. can do that with a harsh tone or harsh behavior. Uh, we can do that by distancing ourselves rather than engaging their hearts. We don't want to deal with it right now. Too many things going on in our own lives. And often that can lead to neglect, which is how... A lot of David's troubles with his kids came along. Absalom, he didn't uh, want to deal with the problem, and so he neglected it. We can provoke our kids to wrath by not setting clear boundaries. They don't understand it, what's going on. They don't need to understand everything, but a, a clear boundary can be clear. Instead of provoking and responding harshly, we're to bring them up. That word means uh, to nourish and to cherish and to care for. I think of how you would care for your prize carrots or your horse that you know you're going to show at the fair. And you, you, you take care of them. That doesn't mean when you're training uh, an animal, I don't know much about training horses, but you train an animal a little bit, uh, um, and uh, yeah, they need to know what's right and wrong, you know? Need to know, okay, don't, you don't go there, you don't do that. But there's a, a care that's involved. And when you're talking about kids, it's, kids are a lot more important than the prize steer that you got. And so, to take care of them, tenderness, as we bring our children up in the training and admonition of the, of the Lord. These two words um, are very similar in meaning, and they really, t um, the idea of instructing and training our kids, but also uh, teaching them right and wrong, and consequences for, for continuing on in doing 
what you have instructed them not to do. Is that idea of instruction and discipline. So if we instruct our kids but don't discipline them, that does no good. And if we do discipline and we don't instruct them, you, you know, they go together. And that's why we have them both. And we're reminded raising our kids involves teaching them about the Lord and His ways and also modeling what the Heavenly Father does in our lives in, uh, in sanctifying us and refining us. You know, there's much to think in each of these um, different relationships, and I have kind of gone through quickly. But I hope this gives us food for thought and as we come to the last of the three relationships that involves bond servants and their masters. And so I will read um, chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. Bond servants... Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free." Um, the culture of slavery in the Roman Empire is something foreign to us. So I think that it's important that we have some context to that. Um, we think about the world at that time, almost every household would have had servants of some kind. It's estimated as many as one-third uh, in the Roman Empire were servants depending on who you look at. And bond servants were the people who came from all different classes and races. They had all kinds of jobs from menial to what today would be considered a professional kind of a job. And their treatment was entirely up to the head of the household. So that certainly doesn't make it necessarily our poster child society for human rights. But uh, there was a lot of, depended on, on who your master was. And many of them didn't treat their slaves very nicely, but some of them were good masters. Anyway, thing is, unlike the other two relationships where we see in God's word commands and instructions in regard to Husbands and wives and parents and their children. These are um, instituted by God back in Genesis chapter 2. Marriage and the family unit. But this relationship is one that is not God's idea. And it is therefore subject to change. Nowhere does the Bible say slavery was something that God started or that it should be continued. And yet God speaks into that situation and encourages that the slave, both the slave and the master, would follow Christ. 
Even today, we have many societal relationships where obedience is appropriate. And we may be able to get out of these. It's sort of more voluntary oftentimes, whether you're an employee or a student or you have policemen, we have a law enforcement. And these are relationships where there is a need for um, both obedience and a providing of care. But as with other relationships, the main thing is that we serve the Lord and not man. So how does one honor the Lord in a position where they are as a not an indentured servant, a slave, but placed under the authority of someone? Let's say a teacher. How does someone who's placed over someone, like say a teacher, how do they respond in these positions of authority? The first thing we see in verse 5 is an attitude of respect, honoring those in authority. A kind of a healthy fear. That's really it's a strong fear and trembling are the words used in the original languages. To an understanding that there are, there are consequences. Those in authority, a teacher can give you a bad grade and put you in detention and so on. They have a respect for people in authority. Secondly, called to a singleness of purpose. That's a word translated in some versions as sincerely. And what kind of a singleness of purpose are we called to? Well, the verse goes on to say, in the same way that you would to Jesus. That puts a high standard for us in treating one another. Treat one another as we would Jesus. Doing things, serving and loving for the Lord's sake. Not to please man, but to do the will of God from the heart. And so whatever relationship you find yourself in or position, God is calling us to see what is his will in this matter. To do it from the heart. He goes on to say that we ought to do these things out of goodwill. To consider what it, what is our goal in what in our relationship, what we're doing, is my goal to please man, or is my goal to please God? What's my attitude? Am I respectful of those who are in a position of authority over me? Am I cheerful about doing the tasks that have been put in front of me? We're left with the encouraging reminder that God will honor those who do good. We come in verse 9 to a word to the masters, leaders, those in positions of authority. And it says, and you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening. 
knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So Paul is reminding masters that they too are bondservants belonging to God. Those in positions of leadership are called to do the same things. To be a servant, regardless of our position, regardless of the response of people, is what Christ did, what Christ called us to. We're to do good for the sake of Christ. And ultimately, in, in each of these relationships, we're to give our all to Him, to be dependent on Him and serve Him. Obedience was God's idea, and He has taught us how to respond to one another in a godly manner. And in doing so, we not only shine a light in the world, a light that shows the glory of God, the holiness of God, we also experience the abundance of His joy in submitting to His ways. God's blueprint for our relationships is that we would reflect Christ in every way and submit to Him in every way, dependent on Him, looking to Him, whether we find ourselves in a role that requires that we should obey or a role that requires giving of care to one another, God calls us to imitate Christ, whose life was one of humility and love. And best of all, when we think about this, we need to remember that God has given us everything we need in Christ. We go back even to Ephesians chapter 1, having been given every spiritual blessing, having been redeemed, made alive in Christ, so that by the Spirit, we have the power to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And in every relationship, we can honor the Lord Jesus Christ and experience His joy as we Learn to submit to His ways and understand His will for our lives.